The first poem that we're going to read tonight sits in the anthology on the 15th of January. I chose this poem by the African-American writer Langston Hughes because on this day in 1929, Martin Luther King Jr. was born. Both Hughes and King were prominent figures in the American civil rights movement. This poem is so powerful still on the subject of race and segregation that recently the New York Times gave it the entire back page. I Too by Langston Hughes. Mm -hmm. I too sing America. I am the darker brother. They send me to eat in the kitchen when company comes. But I laugh and eat well and grow strong. Tomorrow I'll be at the table when company comes. Nobody will dare say to me, eat in the kitchen then. Besides, they'll see how beautiful I am and be ashamed. I, too, am America. We're here tonight on the set of Peter Pan. It is here in the Darling Nursery where Peter loses his shadow. So I thought we should hear this poem, which could almost have been written by Peter himself. If he had written it, he might even have said, I do believe in poetry. My Shadow by Robert Louis Stevenson. I have a little shadow that goes in and out with me and what can be the use of him is more than I can see. He is very, very like me from the heels up to the head, and I see him jump before me when I jump into my bed. The funniest thing about him is the way he likes to grow, not at all like proper children, which is always very slow, but he sometimes shoots up taller like an India rubber ball and sometimes gets so little that there's none of him at all. He hasn't got a notion of how children ought to play and can only make a fool of me in every sort of way. He stays so close beside me, he's a coward, you can see. I'd think shame to stick to Nursey as that shadow sticks to me. One morning, very early before the sun was up, I rose and found the shining dew on every buttercup. But my lazy little shadow, like an arrant sleepyhead, had stayed at home behind me and was fast asleep in bed. <laughs> Scotland's national poet, Robert Burns, was born on the 25th of January, 1759. In Scotland, this date has come to be known as Burns Night, a night when people gather to feast, drink, and celebrate his life and poetry. This poem, addressed to Haggis, is traditionally recited at Burns Night Dinners and is a poem in praise of Haggis, a Scottish dish composed of oats, onions, sheep's heart, liver and lungs. So, in his best lowland Scots dialect, I give you... <laughs> addressed to Haggis, 
by Robbie Burns. Fair fie, you honest, saucy face, great chieftain of the puddin' race. Aboon the ma, you tat your place, paint, stripe, or therm, wheel are you worthy of a grace as long's my arm. The groaning trencher there ye fill, your hurdies like a distant hill, your pin would help to mend a mill in time of need, while through your pores the dews distill like amber bead. His knife see rustic labour dicht, and cut you up with ready slicht, trenching your gushing entrails bricht like ony ditch. And then, oh, what a glorious sicht, warm reeking, rich. Ye powers, what mak mankind your care, and dish them out their bill of fare. Old Scotland wants nae skinking ware that jouts in luggies. But if you wish her grateful prayer, gee her a haggis. <laughs> On January the 27th, 1945, Auschwitz was liberated. And this day is now known all over the world as Holocaust Memorial Day. This recently written poem resounds powerfully on this subject. The Shape of Anne Frank's Soul by Louise Gregg. What shape does my soul take? Is it round, like the moon, pale and ghostly, suspended above me? Or is it a dark pool at my feet, an ellipse, deep, and infinite? Or is my soul a square, a bare room somewhere left behind? Or a book lined in velvet only to let rare thoughts fill it? Perhaps my soul is a shape only fit for a soul, a blanket, a bed, an empty bowl, or not a shape at all but words on the wind's gust, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. February the 14th is St. Valentine's Day. The world is full of odd couples, but the title characters in this poem are among the strangest. Of course, in reality, an owl and a pussycat would be rather more likely to attack each other than to get married, especially in a ceremony conducted by a turkey and using a ring from a pig's nose. While Leah's poem can be described as a nonsense poem, it is also, importantly, a love poem. The Owl and the Pussycat by Edward Lear. The Owl and the Pussycat went to sea in a beautiful pea-green boat. They took some honey and plenty of money wrapped up in a five-pound note. The owl looked up to the stars above and sang to a small guitar. Oh, lovely pussy. Oh, pussy, my love, what a beautiful pussy you are. You are, you are. What a beautiful pussy you are. Pussy said to the owl, 
You elegant fowl, how charmingly sweet you sing. Oh, let us be married, too long have we tarried, but what shall we do for a ring? They sailed away for a year and a day to the land where the bong tree grows. And there in a wood, a piggywig stood with a ring at the end of his nose. His nose, his nose, with a ring at the end of his nose. Dear pig, are you willing to sell for one shilling your ring? Said the piggy, I will. So they took it away and were married next day by the turkey who lives on the hill. They dined on mince and slices of quince, which they ate with a runcible spoon. And hand in hand on the edge of the sand, they danced by the light of the moon. The moon, the moon. They danced by the light of the moon. <laughs> On the 19th of February, 1878, the famous American inventor Thomas Edison patented the phonograph, the first ever recording device. As he was a very serious man, we might have expected that Edison would have chosen some very serious poetry to be the first ever recorded sound in history. Instead, he chose this nursery rhyme, and the 1878 recording sounded a bit like this. Mary had a little lamb. Its fleece was white as snow. And everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. <laughs> he followed her to school one day. That was against the rule. It made the children laugh and play to see a lamb at school. And so the teacher turned him out, but still he lingered near and waited patiently about till Mary did appear. And then he ran to her and laid his head upon her arm, as if he said, I'm not afraid. You'll shield me from all harm. What makes the lamb love Mary so? The little children cry. Oh, Mary loves the lamb, you know the teacher did reply, and you each gentle animal in confidence may bind and make them follow at your call, if you are always kind. It is a tradition in Britain that women are only allowed to propose marriage to men on leap years. Obviously, some of us disagree with that notion. This poem that sits in the anthology on February the 29th tells the story of a young woman who proposes to a dishonest soldier and it doesn't go so well. Oh soldier, soldier, won't you marry me? Oh soldier, soldier, won't you marry me with your musket, fife and drum? Oh no, sweet maid, I cannot marry you for I have no coat to put on. So up she went to her grandfather's chest and she got him a coat of the very, very best and the soldier put it on. Oh, soldier, soldier, won't you marry me with your musket, fife and drum? Oh, no, sweet maid, I cannot marry you for I have no hat to put on. So up she went to her grandfather's chest and she got him a hat of the very, very best and the soldier put it on. Oh, soldier, soldier, won't you marry me with your musket, fife and drum? Oh, no, sweet maid, I cannot marry you, for I have no gloves to put on. So up she went to her grandfather's chest, and she got him a pair of the very, very best, and the soldier put them on. 
Oh, soldier, soldier, won't you marry me with your musket, fife and drum? Oh, no, sweet maid, I cannot marry you, for I have no boots to put on. So up she went to her grandfather's chest, and she got him a pair of the very, very best, and the soldier put them on. Oh, soldier, soldier, won't you marry me with your musket, fife and drum? Oh, no, sweet maid, I cannot marry you, for I have a wife of my own. <laughs> the poet John Agard grew up in Georgetown, Guyana, before moving to London when he was 30. He has won many awards, including the Queen's Gold Medal for Poetry, and many of you here have probably come across his work in your English GCSE. In this poem, he deploys the familiar poetic device of personification and has a tree speaking. The poem is a first-person monologue from the perspective of a tree, imagining the end of winter as a time where the tree is getting dressed, ready for a date with spring. A Date with Spring by John Agard. I got a date with spring. <laughs> Gotta look my best. Of all the trees, I'll be the smartest dressed. Perfumed breeze behind me ear, pollen accessories all in place. Raindrop moisturizer for me face. Sunlight tints to spruce up the hair. What's the good of being a tree if you can't flaunt your beauty? Winter, ah, oh, I was naked, exposed as can be. My wardrobe took off with the wind. Life was frosty slumber. Now, spring, here I come. Can't wait to slip into my little green number. <laughs> We've had a great Scott, so in the interest of post-Brexit relations and to celebrate St. Patrick's Day on March the 17th, let's hear from my favourite Irish poet. He Wishes for the Cloths of Heaven by W.B. Yeats. Had I the heavens embroidered cloths, inwrought with gold and silver light, the blue and the dim, and the dark cloths of night and light, and the half-light. I would spread the cloths under your feet. But I, being poor, have only my dreams. I've spread my dreams under your feet. Tread softly, because you tread on my dreams. Like many people, I was introduced to this poem by Walt Whitman, by Robin Williams in the film Dead Poets Society. O Captain, My Captain was written in 1865 in response to the assassination of the American president, Abraham Lincoln, who was shot on the 14th of April that year by John Wilkes Booth, an actor, and he died the next morning. It is an elegy, meaning a poem of mourning for the dead, and the entire piece is an extended metaphor, imagining America as a ship with Lincoln as the ship's captain. Oh, Captain, My Captain by Walt Whitman. 
Whitman. Oh, Captain, my Captain, our fearful trip is done. The ship has weathered every rack. The prize we sought is won. The port is near, the bells I hear, the people all exulting, while follow eyes the steady keel, the vessel grim and daring. But oh, heart, heart, heart. Oh, the bleeding drops of red where on the deck my captain lies, fallen, cold and dead. O oh, captain, my captain, rise up and hear the bells. Rise up, for you the flag is flung, for you the bugle trills, for you bouquets and ribbon wreaths, for you the shores are crowding, for you they call the swaying mass, their eager faces turning. Here, captain, dear father, his arm beneath your, this arm beneath your head, it is some dream that on the deck you've fallen, cold and dead. My captain does not answer, his lips are pale and still. My father does not feel my arm, he has no pulse nor will. The ship is anchored, safe and sound, its voyage closed and done. From fearful trip the victor ship comes in with object won. Exult, O shores, and ring, O bells. But I, with mournful tread, walk the deck my captain lies, fallen, cold and dead. William Wordsworth is regarded as a member of the Romantic Movement in English poetry, a movement which celebrated the wonder and beauty of nature. This poem opens with a multitude of natural images, clouds, veils, hills, and most famously, daffodils. I Wandered Lonely as a Cloud by William Wordsworth. I wandered lonely as a cloud that floats on high o'er vales and hills, when all at once I saw a crowd, a host of golden daffodils, beside the lake, beneath the trees, fluttering and dancing in the breeze. Continuous as the stars that shine and twinkle on the Milky Way, they stretched in never-ending line along the margin of a bay. Ten thousand saw I at a glance, tossing their heads in sprightly dance. The waves beside them danced, but they outdid the sparkling waves in glee. A poet could not but be gay in such a jocund company. I gazed and gazed, but little thought what wealth the show to me had brought. For oft, when on my couch I lie, in vacant or in pensive mood, they flash upon that inward eye, which is the bliss of solitude. And then my heart with pleasure fills and dances with the daffodils. Paul McCartney, that member of the Beatles, adapted the lyrics to Golden Slumbers from a poem by the Elizabethan playwright Thomas Decker, which he found by chance in a book of sheet music in 1969, and it goes rather wonderfully like this. Golden Slumbers by Paul McCartney. 
Once there was a way to get back homeward. Once there was a way to get back home. Sleep, pretty darling, do not cry. And I will sing a lullaby. Golden slumbers fill your eyes. Smiles awake you when you rise. Sleep, pretty darling, do not cry. And I will sing a lullaby. Once there was a way to get back homeward. Once there was a way to get back home. Sleep, pretty darling, do not cry. And I will sing a lullaby. June the 21st is the summer solstice, the longest day of the year in the Northern Hemisphere. Next up is by the giant of English poetry. Sonnet 18 by William Shakespeare. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. Rough winds do shake the darling buds of May, and summer's lease hath all too short a date. Sometime too hot the eye of heaven shines, and often it is gold complexion dimmed. And every fair from fair sometime declines, by chance or nature's changing course untrimmed. But thy eternal summer shall not fade, nor lose possession of that fair thou owest, nor shall death brag thou wanderst in his shade, when in eternal lines to time thou growest. So long as men can breathe or eyes can see, so long lives this, and this gives life to thee. For Americans, the 4th of July is Independence Day, a federal holiday celebrating the day in 1776 on which representatives of the 13 American states declared themselves independent of, well, us. <laughs> this was the beginning of the United States of America. And so it is fitting on this day to hear a poem by Emily Dickinson, one of America's most treasured poets, who writes here about hope. In this poem, she imagines hope to be a bird that lives in the soul, singing eternally. Her reassuring poem notes with wonder that while hope has sustained the speaker through the darkest of times, it has never asked for anything in return. Hope is the Thing with Feathers by Emily Dickinson. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all and sweetest in the gale is heard and sore must be the storm that could abash the little bird that kept so many warm. I've heard it in the chillest land and on the strangest sea, yet never in extremity it asked a crumb 
of me. This next poem, written in 1875, has been quoted in speeches by Winston Churchill in 1941 and Barack Obama in 2013. Nelson Mandela, whose birthday was the 18th of July, allegedly found this poem a great comfort during the 27 years he spent in prison. The poem was originally untitled, but its editor gave it the title Invictus, a Latin word that translates as unconquered. Invictus by William Ernest Henley. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. This next poem, a big favourite of primary school children by the ex-children's laureate Michael Rosen, tells a story that might be all too familiar to you if you've ever been on a long car journey with your family. Which I have. <laughs> the Car Trip by Michael Rosen. Mum says, right you two. This is a very long car journey. I want you two to be good. I'm driving and I can't drive properly if you two are going mad in the back. Do you understand? So we say, okay, mum, okay, don't worry. And off we go. And we start the moaning. Can I have a drink? I want some crisps. Can I open my window? He's got my book. Get off! Ow! That's my ear! And Mum tries to be exciting. Look out the window! There's a lamppost! <laughs> and we go on with the moaning. Can I have a sweet? He's sitting on me. Are we nearly there? Don't scratch. You never tell him off. Now he's biting his nails. I want a drink, I want a drink. And Mum tries to be exciting again. Look out the window, there's a tree. <laughs> and we go on. My hands are sticky. He's playing with the door handle now. I feel sick. Your nose is all running. Don't pull my hair. He's touching me, Mum. That's really, really dangerous, you know. Mum, he's spitting. And Mum says, right! I'm stopping the car! I am stopping the car! <laughs> and she stops the car. Now, if you two don't stop it, I'm going to put you out of the car and leave you by the side of the road. 
He started it. I didn't. He started it. I don't care who started it. I can't drive properly if you two go mad in the back. Do you understand? And we say, okay, Mum, okay. Don't worry. Can I have a drink? <laughs> <laughs> This poem sits on September the 6th for the beginning of the school year. Homework, oh homework. <laughs> By Jack Prolitsky. <sighs> homework, oh, homework, I hate you. You stink. I wish I could wash you away in the sink. If only a bomb would explode you to bits. Homework, oh, homework, you're giving me fits. I, I'd, I'd rather take baths with a man-eating shark or wrestle a lion alone in the dark or eat spinach and liver, pet ten porcupines than tackle the homework my teacher assigns. Homework, ah, oh, homework. <laughs> you're last on my list. I simply can't see why you even exist. If he just disappeared, it would tickle me pink. Homework, oh, homework, I hate you. You stink. <laughs> Next up, with its relentless barrage of questions, is the poem whose rhythm and rhyme first haunted and thrilled me as a child. The Tiger by William Blake. Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forests of the night. What immortal hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry? In what distant deeps or skies burnt the fire of thine eyes? On what wings dare he aspire? What the hand dare seize the fire? And what shoulder and what art could twist the sinews of thy heart? And when thy heart began to beat, what dread hand and what dread feet? What the hammer, what the chain, in what furnace was thy brain? What the anvil, what dread grasp dare its deadly terrors clasp? When the stars threw down their spears and watered heaven with their tears, did he smile his work to see? Did he who made the lamb make thee? Tiger. Tiger, burning bright in the forests of the night. What immortal hand or eye dare frame thy fearful symmetry? Ada Lovelace, the illegitimate daughter of the poet Lord Byron, was a brilliant British mathematician who was widely considered to be the first ever computer programmer. Ada Lovelace Day, the annual commemoration of her and her achievements, falls in October. If you are between the ages of eight and 14, you're going to love this poem. To any parents, I apologize. Xbox, Xbox, a love poem <laughs> by Ken Nesbitt. Xbox. Xbox, you're the one for me. 
I also love my 3DS and my Nintendo Wii. <laughs> GameCube, Game Boy, Apple iPod Touch. I never thought that I would ever be in love this much. Pac-Man, Sonic, Mario and Link, your names are etched inside my mind in everlasting ink. Run, jump, flip, hang, double jump and climb. That's all I want to do with every second of my time. This is true love. Yes, it's plain to see. Xbox, Xbox, will you marry me? <laughs> <laughs> Alfred Lord Tennyson wrote The Charge of the Light Brigade after reading a newspaper account of the disastrous British cavalry charge against Russian forces at the Battle of Balaclava, which was fought on the 25th of October, 1854. The ill-fated charge was a result of miscommunication in the change of command, and many of the 600 soldiers died. Tennyson acknowledges the horror of the battle describing the soldiers riding into the Valley of Death, a reference to Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And he expresses that they were powerless to question the command they were given. Theirs not to reason why, theirs but to do and die. Yet he ends his account with praising their bravery, urging us to honor the Light Brigade, noble 600. Charge of the Light Brigade by Alfred Lord Tennyson. <clears throat> Half a league, half a league, half a league onward, all in the valley of death rode the 600. Forward the light brigade, charge for the guns, he said. Into the valley of death rode the 600. Forward the light brigade! Was there a man dismayed? Not though the soldier knew someone had blundered. There's not to make reply. There's not to reason why. There's but to do and die. Into the valley of death rode the 600. Cannon to right of them, cannon to left of them, cannon in front of them volleyed and thundered. Stormed at with shot and shell, boldly they rode and well. Into the jaws of death, into the mouth of hell rode the 600. Flashed all their sabres bare, flashed as they turned in air, sabering the gunners there, charging an army while all the world wondered. Plunged in the battery smoke, right through the line they broke. Cossack and Russian reeled from the sabre stroke, shattered and sundered. Then they rode back, but not, not the 600. Cannon to right of them, cannon to left of them, cannon behind them volleyed and thundered, stormed at with shot and shell while horse and hero fell. They that had fought so well came through the jaws of death, back from the mouth of hell, all that was left of them, left of 600. When can their glory fade? Oh, the wild charge they made. All the world wondered. Honour the charge they made. Honour the light brigade. Noble 600. Tim Burton, the visionary film director, is both far from ordinary and brilliant. And this poem by him perfectly reflects his quirky and fantastical imagination. 
The Girl with Many Eyes by Tim Burton. One day in the park, I had quite a surprise. I met a girl who had many eyes. She was really quite pretty and also quite shocking. <laughs> and I noticed she had a mouth, so we ended up talking. <laughs> we talked about flowers and her poetry classes and the problems she'd have if she ever wore glasses. <laughs> it's great to know a girl who has so many eyes, but you get really wet when she breaks down and cries. <laughs> <laughs> Rupert Brooke was a poet and a soldier who enlisted to fight in World War I. This poem was written in 1914, just as the war was about to begin. It is very patriotic and can be seen to reflect the optimistic mood of the country before the war began in earnest and the casualties rose to unspeakable numbers. Notable for its lack of gruesome imagery, it's a seemingly idealistic vision of how noble it is to die for your country a sharp comparison to the second war poem we will hear by Wilfred Owen. The Soldier by Rupert Brooke. If I should die, think only this of me, that there's some corner of a foreign field that is forever England. There shall be in that rich earth a richer dust concealed, a dust whom England bore, shaped, made aware, gave once her flowers to love, her ways to roam. A body of England's breathing English air, washed by the rivers, blessed by the suns of home. And think, this heart, all evil shed away, a pulse in the eternal mind, no less, gives somewhere back the thoughts by England given her sights and sounds, dreams happy as her day, and laughter learned of friends and gentleness in hearts at peace under an English heaven. On the 11th of November, 1918, the fighting ceased on the Western Front, marking the end of World War I. Wilfred Owen, who didn't quite survive to the end of the war, composed Dulce et Decorum Est while recovering from shell shock in 1917. The title is taken from a line by the Roman poet Horace, who wrote Dulce et Decorum Est pro patria mori, which translates, it is sweet and fitting to die for one's country. While Horace meant to praise the bravery of the Roman army, in Owen's poem, the phrase takes on a bitter irony. Owen's descriptions of war are not lofty and idealized, but brutally graphic. He attacks the military propaganda of the time, which encouraged children ardent for some desperate glory to serve in the war. He sets the supposed sweetness of glory in battle in contrast with the horrendous reality. Dulce et decorum est by Wilfred Owen. Bent double, like old beggars under sacks, 
knock-kneed, coughing like hags, we cursed through sludge. Till on the haunting flares we turned our backs and towards our distant rest began to trudge. Men marched asleep. Many had lost their boots, but limped on, bloodshod. All went lame, all blind, drunk with fatigue, deaf even to the hoots of gas shells dropping softly behind. Gas, gas, quick boys! An ecstasy of fumbling, fitting the clumsy helmets just in time. But someone still was yelling out and stumbling and floundering like a man in fire or lime. Dim through the misty panes and thick green light, as under a green sea, I saw him drowning. In all my dreams, before my helpless sight, he plunges at me, guttering, choking, drowning. If in some smothering dreams you too could pace behind the wagon that we flung him in, and watch the white eyes writhing in his face, his hanging face, like a devil's sick of sin. If you could hear at every jolt the blood come gargling from the froth-corrupted lungs, obscene as cancer, bitter as the cud of vile, incurable sores on innocent tongues, my friend, you would not tell with such high zest to children ardent for some desperate glory, the old lie, dulce et decorum est, pro patria mori. The poem Funeral Blues was read out in its entirety in the film Four Weddings and a Funeral and has become one of Auden's best-known poems. Funeral Blues by W.H. Auden. <clears throat> Stop all the clocks, cut off the telephone, prevent the dog from barking with a juicy bone, silence the pianos and with muffled drum bring out the coffin, let the mourners come. Let aeroplanes circle moaning overhead, scribbling on the sky the message he is dead. Put crepe bows round the white necks of the public doves. Let the traffic policemen wear black cotton gloves. He was my north, my south, my east and west, my working week and my Sunday rest, my noon, my midnight, my talk, my song. I thought that love would last forever. I was wrong. The stars are not wanted now, put out every one. Pack up the moon and dismantle the sun. Pour away the ocean and sweep up the wood, for nothing now can ever come to any good. The British Jamaican poet Benjamin Zephaniah often incorporates Jamaican dialect into his work. We've had poems tonight that champions civil rights, but this next one is different. It speaks up for turkeys. This last poem for December is our last poem of the night.
Talking Turkeys by Benjamin Zephaniah. Be nice to your turkeys this Christmas, because turkeys just want to have fun. <laughs> turkeys are cool, turkeys are wicked, and every turkey has a mum. <laughs> Be nice to your turkeys this Christmas. Don't eat it, keep it alive. It could be your mate and not on your plate. Say, yo, turkey, I'm on your side. <laughs> I got lots of friends who are turkeys and all of them fear Christmas time. They want to enjoy it. They say humans destroy it and humans are out of their mind. Yeah, I got lots of friends who are turkeys and they all have a right to life, not to be caged up and genetically made up by a farmer and his wife. Turkeys just want to play reggae. <laughs> Turkeys just want to hip hop. Can you imagine a nice young turkey saying, I can't wait for the chop. <laughs> turkeys like getting presents. They want to watch Christmas TV. Turkeys have brains and turkeys feel pain. In many ways like you and me. Turn the page. I once knew a turkey called Turkey. He said, Benji, explain me, please. Who put the turkey in Christmas and what happens to Christmas trees? I said, I'm not too sure, turkey, but it's nothing to do with Christ mass. Humans get greedy and waste more than they need be and businessmen make loads of cash. Be nice to your turkey this Christmas. Invite them indoors for some greens. Let them eat cake and let them partake of a plate of organic grown beans. Be nice to your turkey this Christmas and spare them the cut of the knife. Join Turkeys United and they'll be delighted and you'll make new friends for life. It just leaves me to say now that there will be a book signing of a poem for every night of the year on the ground floor outside the bookshop. I hope very much that some of these lines never leave you, but stay inside the private library of your brain and whose beauty you feel as Wordsworth did along the heart. Thank you all for coming and thank you for injecting life into the poems to Samuel West, Kate Duchenne, Hattie Morahan, and Giles Torreira.